Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. In today's episode, Visually Yummy Virtual, we're going to discover how lighting, staging, colors, and a host of other factors converge to create beautiful virtual experiences. Are you ready to upgrade your online sessions? If so, let's go. On this episode of Voices of Experience, we have Jeffrey Shaw, who has 35 years experience as a portrait photographer in the affluent market. And so he's going to talk to us about the visual components of our virtual experiences. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeffrey. Crystal, I'm so excited to be here with you. You know, I'm sure we've both observed a lot of webinars and virtual experiences, and I'm I'm sure you're like me where I've seen some where I'm like, oh, visually, I don't know. It's a little suspect. <laughs> Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, it's it's a transition and not everyone has transitioned over to virtual as well. Yeah. Well, and the good thing is that's why you're here, because mm-hmm. you have this experience from a photographer background. And I've seen what you're doing with your virtual experiences. And they're so they're virtually yummy, like they're visually yummy is the only way I can describe them. I remember seeing when I was like, he, it looks yummy. I don't know how to explain it. Like it, it got to my senses. And so first question, okay, let's keep this real basic. Yeah. What should we as speakers keep in mind when framing ourselves in virtual presentations? Are there any dimensions we should keep in mind or anything? So, in fact, there are. I mean, visually speaking, there's this thing in the art world known as the rule of thirds, right? So, if you were to imagine any framing divided by two vertical lines, two horizontal lines, and therefore it cuts it up in thirds, both vertically and horizontally. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen a lot of uh, trainers and speakers stress the importance of the the rule of thirds from left to right. In other words, encouraging people to not be dead center on the camera. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to say, Crystal, as a photographer, I, I don't I don't like that as a rule per se, because there's a lot of times that dead center makes perfect sense. And also I think if someone's following that rule and they're they're just off to the side a bit mm-hmm. without there being reason to be off the side, it looks odd. Okay. Right. So here's what I think is more important, which I want to stress is the the up and down third. You want your eyes. This is what's critical. You want your eyes in close to the upper third of the image. Even if that means there's very little headspace, you know, between this is not a time to have big hair. <laughs> so if there's, if Oh there's, no, my Afro puff. <laughs> well, it might, you know, it's okay if it gets a little cut off. The okay. important thing is, is where people make eye contact. They want to make eye contact in the upper third. It's also the power position. Now imagine you've probably seen this as soon as somebody's eyes is too low on the screen, they've lost all their power. Mm. So when you're showing up as a speaker, that is a power position, just as you're on stage. So you want your eyes in the upper third of the image. I care about that far more than I care about whether you're off to the side or not. If you're going to be off to the side, then there has to be a reason for balance. If you're to the left of the screen, Mm -hmm. then there has to be a visual weight to the opposite side so that it makes sense. I tend to frame the edges. So I, I stand in front of, uh, you know, when I'm doing my virtual presentations, it's sort of I'm standing in front of a tree that's kind of in the distance inside my apartment. And okay. then there's a weight to it, right? So there's a window on one side, there's visual elements. So 
if you're not going to be dead center, if you're going to be slightly off the side, it has to be balanced with weight. And that's really critical. But I'm most picky about the eyes. Keep your power, keep your eyes in the upper third. And when you say in the upper third, Jeffrey, do you mean that it needs to be on that top line? Because you know, we're looking at two lines going across. Are you saying it needs to be on that line or above that line to get them in the third? Correct. Uh, on or above. Okay. Right? So you want to keep your eyes in the top third of the overall screen. Okay. Okay. Wow. So I think we should jump into a little controversy, Jeffrey, because we... <laughs> You know, some, sometimes we have to touch on things that are a little controversial. We live in a controversial world right now. Green screens. Yeah. Good idea? You know, it can be, and it can be a disaster. So it can work. And I have seen some people do it beautifully. And I also respect the fact that, hey, not everybody's in a home situation that they want to use as a background. Mm -hmm. um, what I want to discourage people from, I don't want people to not use their background because they don't think it's dramatic enough. Because what's so beautiful about virtual, honestly, is I feel like we're getting to know people's real sense a little bit by being in their home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by all means, leverage that if you can. But if truly you can't and you have to use a green screen, there are a couple tips. One is, you know how you get that weird movement thing when people are using green screen and the, the area around the person hasn't caught up? Yes. That can be improved if you stand further away from the green screen. All right. Uh -huh. So back the whole thing up, get the camera further away from the backdrop, get your body further away from the green screen, mm -hmm. and that will play a little bit better. Even more important, depending on what, first of all, whatever's on this, pay attention to what's on the screen. The only reason if you're going to do with the green screen, have what's on the screen be a value to your core message. Okay. So have it be supportive of what your core message and what you're all about. Um, and then just, you know, I said, stand, stand away a bit, but pay attention to the image itself that's on the background and replicate the lighting. <laughs> what drives me crazy is when somebody puts an image in the background and the, the lighting, the sun in the image is coming from one side, but they've lit themselves coming from the other side. It doesn't work that way. There's only one sun in the sky. So you have to pay attention to the image and replicate the lighting. And you actually, it can be done well, but those are the two key things is replicate the lighting that's on the background image and stand much further away from it than most people do. And that's why you get that weird fuzzy effect. So what's interesting is that there are many of us within NSA, because we've talked about it, that have those web arounds, the green screens on the back of chairs. And so it sounds like that was cool when we were doing like little simple things before COVID hit and, and we're all doing all these virtual experiences. But it sounds like what you're saying is if we need to use a green screen, that might not be the best solution for these professional videos and virtual experiences because we need to be further away from the green screen. And that's the difference, right? If you're doing a Zoom call and you want to pop the Golden Gate Bridge behind you, which don't, but if you do, <laughs> please don't. Um, but yeah, that might be a clip on green screen behind your scene. Your seat may have worked well for that. But yeah, we're talking, you know, we're talking professional level virtual presentations. It's better to actually have a legit green background. And that can be a, it can be a, you can purchase a green background. You can also paint the wall the color of that green if, if you're in such a situation. Uh, but yeah, you, you will get a much better effect. It'll look far more realistic if you are actually six to eight feet from the background. Okay. And for anybody that's listening, that's like, well, how do I get one of those? You know, Jeffrey, I, I probably have a little bit more knowledge than the average speaker because I'm married to a photographer too, but we <laughs> right, just yeah. put up photography backdrops. And so you can have a green screen with that or a solid backdrop, but they're 
all it is is, I mean, it's not very expensive equipment. You can clip them up there and take them back down. So there are inexpensive options for this. Yes, you can use, uh, you know, it can be a seamless roll of, of green the green screen paper, or you can get foldable. That's what I have. I don't really use green screen very often, but, you know, it's a huge piece of fabric that can fold up. Um, so, yeah, and it's not expensive. Okay. So let's talk about our backgrounds a little bit more. Do you have any other tips for how we can work with the space we have? So let's take the green screen and put it aside. You know, what are some things that you can share that would make our backgrounds more visually appealing? You know, I think it's an opportunity to tell a story. This is what I love so much about the virtual opportunity and, and people leveraging their homes. And we've all been watching perhaps, you know, some of the shows like The Voice or American Idol or even the fundraising show that was going on and there were performers in their homes. I mean, don't you spend a lot of time like looking past the performance and checking out their house? I know I do. Yeah. Right. So there's such a room for personality here. So, you know what, even if you have to stand or sit, uh, I'm a proponent of standing, but if you can stand or sit and it's just a simple bookcase in the background, but pay close attention to what's on that bookshelf and, and show your personality, your choices of books, a little, um, you know, statue that, that might have a story to it. And it's not that you, you may never get into explaining that story, but it becomes interesting to the viewer. This is actually, you know, something I'll point point out as a photographer. So, you know, as you mentioned, I've spent 35 years photographing very affluent families and they were primarily Northeast uh, clientele, although, you know, they had homes all over the world. But what was important to them was I knew I had a story to tell, right? We had to tell a story about their lifestyle, but they're not garish people. So they're never the clientele that would want their, you know, massive home in the background with them sitting on the lawn. That's not their style. So what you'd learn to do is to tell their story through little details, right? So it was, it was the item on an end table. It was the style of a lamp. It was catching the corner of a column in the house. And those small details told a bigger story. And that's what I think the best thing you can do with your backdrop is just adorn it with some of the details that mean something to you. So you're telling the viewer something about yourself, whether you actually ever discuss it or not, but they're getting a glimpse into who you are. And that's honestly, these are now that I've done so much virtual, I feel like next to my talk on stage, I want to bring props with me. Like, I feel like that's something I've come <laughs> to love so much is the opportunity to tell our story that we can, because we're in our homes. So, it's interesting, and maybe this is, you know, I do a little bit of gaming. I'm not a big-time gamer, but you're talking about leaving Easter eggs. and I, I do no gaming, so I have no idea what that means. It sounds like breadcrumbs. Those are little, yes, those are little hints. Mm -hmm. Those are little yes. hints that people are seeing that they're catching up on. And what hit me, Jeff, when you talked about people, you know, sharing, telling a little bit of their story is it seems to me like you might even be able to grab something around the house before a webinar and tell the client's story. If it's a corporate client or something like that, if you see something that relates back to them, you could even give them a little silent nod. Oh, absolutely. I actually, I was giving a, um, you know, I talk about brand messaging and how certain brands feel like they speak to us. And I use a type of shaving cream that that brand totally speaks to me. Like they're totally speaking my lingo. So I brought that bot that tube of shaving cream onto my virtual event and explained how, you know, Hey, I just shaved <laughs> and this tube of shaving cream totally speaks to me. So let's talk about how you can make your brand speak to your clients. So use what you have. And it wasn't a decorative uh, prop in that case, but it, hey, I'm home. It's in my house. It's not unrealistic that I could have just shaved and brought the shaving cream in. So I think Makes it's important sense. to tell stories. 
So let's talk about another element of storytelling that many of us have to be trained to pay attention to, okay? Let's talk about lighting. You you hinted on that a little bit earlier when, when we were talking about the backgrounds and saying the lighting needs to match the lighting on the backdrop. But what constitutes good lighting? Because we've seen a little bit of everything, Jeffrey. We've seen some of our peers uh, aiming their desk lamps at them. We've seen these huge ring lights. We've seen setups with five or six lights. What should we know about lighting? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, lighting is everything. I mean, as a photographer, I chose my locations based on the lighting first and then the backdrop. So lighting is everything. And the simple solution for virtual presentations is just a really good ring light. I use a ring light from Newer. It's N-E-E-W-A-R or E-R, N-E-E-W-E-R, I think it is. Yes. Um, so, which initially I was getting on Amazon and you could get it there. They ran out, but then I started ordering it from the company directly and realized how much I love to support the independent retailer. So now Newer is my new best friend, my new BFF. So I get everything directly from them so that I'm working with them directly. Um, so a really good, mine's 18 inch. You can get 18 inch, you can get 14 inch. Good ring likes with the best lighting and the most flattering lighting is just flat lighting, right? Having it come, it flattens out all the features. I am blessed with an abundant nose and that ring light just flattens it right <laughs> out, uh, you know, but you, your eye color will pop. I mean, it, it, so good flat lighting coming at you from a ring um, and which you kind of want, you know, a ring light is just that you want your eyes. You can have the ring light just slightly higher. The center of the ring light, the center of the circle should be just slightly higher than your eye height so that you're getting a really beautiful circle in the, in the pupil of the eyes. So that's, that's the simple solution. You can kick that up with also a small little floodlight off to the side. That's called a kicker light. So you can have your ring light a little stronger than the kicker light, but the kicker light might just add a little highlight on the cheek. The other thing you can do, which is one of my favorite things to do. And I just helped a speaker with this the other day, just told her, she sent me a, a diagram of her room and there happened to be a window. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute, use the window too. So what we did is we used the ring light straight at her and the window was to her shoulder. What that does, if you have that opportunity is that window adds this outline of light to your shoulder. So the ring light is coming straight at your face, but the side light is adding this outline of light to your shoulder and suddenly everything looks naturally lit and it separates you from the background, whether it's a green screen or a, a natural background. So now you've got a, literally you're painting with light so the light is separating from the background. That's the ideal scenario. Okay. But to your point, Crystal, we can get really far if people just simple, simply get one single ring light, mm -hmm. slightly above eye level, right on their face, a little brighter than might be comfortable to your eyes tends to be the right dimness. Okay. This is perfect. Now, do you have, you mentioned the natural lighting. Do you have anybody that just faces natural lighting? I'll, I'll give you an example. So I have a ring light, like the one you described. I, I have probably about six newer lights that I bought. And, and these aren't my husband's. These are actually for video, right? Mm -hmm. But what's funny is, uh, Jeffrey, what I've realized is in my room, while I still use like the kicker light you talked about on the side, the way my window faces, none of the lights do better than that. So 
Is there any argument for natural light? And if so, which way do you need to face? Because I just lucked out. I don't understand the science behind my light, but I know everyone's not in the same experience. Yeah. So I agree with you hundred percent. I actually have a stand-up desk that suction cups to sliding glass windows that I have in my um, apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will sometimes, I won't do virtual events there, but I'll do Zoom calls and things like that there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can certainly use that for a virtual event as well. A good flat light, which okay. tends to be a north-facing window. Okay. So, right. So north facing windows never get the sun coming in them directly. Right. So a north facing window is actually spectacular light. I mean, there are painters and photographers throughout history that have, you know, it created north light by skylights in a, in a roof. So it's a north light is a beautiful natural light. So you can absolutely just use a window, just face it straight on, let it give you that good flat lighting like a ring light would do. Just make sure there is never a time when there's going, you're going to have direct sunlight because that's not flattering. That's, that's a good one. And another tip, check for storms. Cause I do have to do that because yes, if, if the storm true. is, the storm is a coming, I have to set up my ring light. <laughs> yeah. It's less controlled, right? Ling ring light, no matter what goes on, it's going to be steady. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about lighting. We're talking about backgrounds. Here's another one. How can we incorporate color to make our virtual ex- experiences pop more? So I think this is, again, another opportunity to tap into who you are personally. And I have seen this for years, having been you know, a photographer, that I find most people have an inclination either to be, when it comes to color, to either be a contraster or a harmonizer. So ask yourself whether you think you're a harmonizer or a contraster. I'm a harmonizer. In other words, I will, my setting that I use virtually tends to be abundant in, in greens and blues. So I wear greens and blues and soft shades so that I'm not blending into the background. And in, in fact, the lighting should separate you from the background. But what I feel most comfortable in and what gets a good, you, you described it earlier as mine being visually yummy. Mm-hmm. I think harmony is yummy. So when people look at an image where the whole palette, what you're wearing, what the background is, if it's, if there's a continuity of tone, people will describe it as yummy. Harmony is yummy. We need more harmony in life, right? That's yummy. So I'm more of a harmonizer as opposed to a contrast or someone else who just exudes personality. And I kind of would put you in this category, Crystal. It just, you can't help, but not, you can't not stand out. Like it's just who you are. So you might contrast with colors. You might have more, a more vibrant color on. I remember the first time I saw you on stage, you were wearing this dynamite white pantsuit, like mm, very few people could pull that off. You did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. So, because you stood out. So decide for yourself whether you believe you are a contrastor or a harmonizer. Do you tend to want to stand out by having a a punchy, contrasty color? And then do that as opposed to being a a more harmonious palette. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only color that I tend to suggest you stay away from as far as a, a, a blouse or a top would be red, a vibrant red. Oh, because you can't unsee it. It's really powerful on a camera. So to the viewer, they might spend, their eye is subconsciously spending more time looking at that red than they are at your facial expressions. Wow. It's really hard to get our eyes off of red. It's, it's the color of alert. It's the color, think about, you know, everything. We can't n- not look at a sunset, right? Red is a really hard color to get your eyes off of. Mm. So you don't want 
your people's eyes going to something you don't want their your attention. It can, it can work as a headdress. It can work as other things, but probably not a shirt because you're not going to get your eyes off of it. Uh, so may- maybe I need to start wearing red lipstick. <laughs> yeah, red. It's funny you should say that, right? Because I was just watching, um, oh gosh, America's Got Talent or something. And Sofia Vergara is wearing, she always wears a matte red lipstick. It's not shiny, it's matte. And I was just noticing this last night. I'm like, that is so powerful on her. Mm. Right. So yeah, it can work. Red lipstick can be really dynamite. Note to self, I'll be ordering some as soon as we get off of here. All right. <laughs> Jeff, you have been wonderful, 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 wonderful is sharing your experience with us. I have one last question for you, Jeffrey. If you could give every speaker two things to do right now, we're all about actionable, to upgrade their virtual experiences, what would they be? Two things. Okay. Well, the first one is, should be simple. It's just learning to speak differently. And I know this more as a podcaster than even a photographer. Virtual events. Now, I think we're about to go through a transition with virtual events, but up till now, our virtual events have been, we're the speaker, all the attendees are by themselves at their homes. This may be changing soon in that there may be groups getting together for which we're brought in virtually. But most importantly, when all the attendees are also by themselves, please speak in the singular. So on my podcast, for example, there may be 30,000 people listening to it a month, but what you don't want to do is, is come on stage, if you will, as a virtual presenter and say, hey, everyone, mm. you, you, you all, because every person re- attending that event is by themselves. Right. So you need to learn, and I do this in the podcast too, like I don't often speak to the 30,000 people that might be listening. I'm very conscious of the fact that to the recipient of the content, it's one person by themselves alone. So you want to speak to them. I think you have the potential to create a much more intimate experience for them if you speak to them in the singular. And I think that's a hard adaptation for speakers because we're so used to coming out on the stage and speaking to the whole audience. Mm -hmm. And we need to change that in the virtual realm. Second tip would be staging. You know, we're more confined when we are virtually because we're usually confined within a certain area of staying within the view of our camera, but that doesn't mean you can't stage. So just like on stages that we know we can walk, you know, we need to walk stage left, stage right, stage stage center. We can do the same virtually within a, the confine of a very short space. You can do this a couple different ways. If you use graphics, I use Ecamm for all my presentations mm-hmm. and you know, Ecamm, the, the graphics can be loaded to different parts of the screen. So I will at times take a slight step to my left and then the graphic comes up on the right. But then later on, I will step to my right and the graphic comes up on the other side of the screen. Mm-hmm. So there becomes staging because the graphics are coming up in different parts. Okay. I will also, I also have a stool next to me. So I start off standing, but when, I, when it comes to a more poignant part of the talk, I'll sit down on the stool. Okay. Right. So that can create a connection. And while I do that, but for the benefit of Ecamm, Ecamm has a zoom button on it, which you can preset. So as I go to sit on my stool, I'm hitting without the attendees realizing uh, just a, one radial dial in Ecamm that brings the camera in on the preset zoom stage. Now it looks like a two camera shoot. It's the same camera. But the preset of the zoom zooms in. So it's just head and shoulders where the, when I'm standing, it's waist up because I want them to see my hands. Okay. Right. So you could just simply sit, zoom, have a preset of the zoom 
But even just, you know, even if you, if you don't have, if you're not using Ecamm, just sitting on the stool, just don't forget to stage your talk just like you would on stage. So you're not just standing there talking the whole time. There's still within the confines of a short area, you can still create a visual, visually exciting experience for the viewer. Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. I'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.